you would remain standing and open your Bibles to John as we continue our study this morning in John's Gospel, John chapter 20. This morning, verses 1 through 10. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the, then the disciples went back to their homes. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. It truly is light and life. Lord, may with eyes of faith all of us see, behold, you are risen Savior. Lord, apart from the Spirit being at work, none of us will see, none of us will hear, none of us will believe. So may your Spirit be at work giving life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What's the most important event in history? What is it? I've had a good time thinking about that. Mainly because looking it up, you get like the invention of the internet. Tim Berner Lee, he gets the credit. Maybe Al Gore gets some too. That was a joke. Thank you. Significant event Mark Zuckerberg in 2004 rolls out Facebook at Harvard. You're like, ah, those, those don't rank. They're not big enough. How about the Pax Romana? The peace of, of Rome that allowed culture to thrive and grow and explode. Very significant. How about the plague, the Black Death? A significant amount of the world's population dying in a matter of years. The fall of Constantinople, 
monumental. The Civil War in the United States. What is it? The Protestant Reformation. All of us are like, yeah. So significant. The medical revolution of the 19th and 20th century. The industrial revolution. The invention of the Gutenberg Press. European colonialism, very important, shaped the history of the world. VE Day, victory in Europe. Finally, World War II is over. The French Revolution, the American Revolution, the Communist Revolution, so many monumental things go on and on and on. Which one has had the most impact on the world? It's my guess that you know you're being set up. You're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday when we remember his resurrection. We would say that there's an event in history that makes all of these pale by comparison. Can there be a single moment or a singular movement big enough to shape the way the entire world works? Can there be a single moment which shapes the life of every single nation, tongue, tribe under heaven? Can there be this singular moment which, in fact, shapes the course of the entire universe? The answer in the resurrection is yes. Yes, there actually is an event that big. There can be such a moment. There can be such a time. We, we find the answer this morning in our text. The fact that they expected there to be a dead body laying in there, and he was gone. The reality of this empty tomb utterly changes everything in the course of history. It is the longed-for reality ever since the fall in the garden. It's where John's narrative has been driving us like a drumbeat from the very beginning. Before there was anything else, there was the Word. And then he breaks into the world as light penetrating into the darkness. All the way to this moment, right here. Last week, we heard Jesus from the cross cry. What did did he say? Do you remember? It's finished. It's finished. But by that statement, he did not mean that he was done. He, He meant that every single bit of the work needed to be accomplished by the sacrifice to redeem sinners like you and me had been accomplished. He had done it. He had achieved what no other human being could achieve. By his active obedience, by the active obedience of Jesus, the fact that he went after righteousness, actively pursuing it for us, he had accomplished it. Everything that the Father says for us to do, Jesus did. 
and then passively at the end of his life, he doesn't protest, he doesn't kick and scream like a, like a silent lamb before its shears, Jesus passively obeys unto death. And we get the benefit. We are here this morning living in light of the benefit of this active and passive obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the resurrection brings with it the dawning of a new day, a new era, new creation, new life, new hope. One of the reformers says the cross of Christ only triumph, only triumphs in the breast of believers over the devil and the flesh, sin and sinners, when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. The cross is not the final moment. There is more. There is resurrection. No other event in all of history is as monumental as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to celebrate. We're going to worship and rest because death, hell, the devil have been defeated because the curse could not hold Jesus in the grave. It couldn't hold the righteous one. His life was fully vindicated by the Father. Yes, Jesus, perfect. No sin. Because the tomb was empty, you and I have hope today. We have good news today. We have the gospel today. The good news that Jesus didn't just accomplish this for himself. This wasn't some just distant reality, but he accomplished life, death, and resurrection for us. Taking our place, offering us life and hope in him. In the power of the resurrection, we have hope. Life beyond this life. Life beyond this sinful world. Eternity with God, the Lamb, seated high on the throne. Look again at some of these details that John gives to us to see the glory of God in resurrection. One, it's time. It's really interesting. Twice, John draws our attention to the reality that this is the first day of the week. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away, taken away from the tomb, the first day of the week. Mentioned here and in verse 19, why emphasizing this? Why telling us what time it is? Why looking at this little detail? The Sabbath is over. And if we've been paying attention to the details, remember back to last week, John had told us that this tomb was in a garden. And when we see Jesus and a garden, we need to think Adam and the first garden. We need to think about, oh man, that's where we fell. That's where we blew it. All of us blew it in Adam in the first garden. John gives us the detail. Hey, pay attention. Jesus is being buried in a garden. 
We're meant to remember the first Sabbath that ever happened was back in a garden. We're meant to see that Jesus had rested on the Sabbath that week had ended. Now on the first day of the week, he is risen to glory. What does that mean? I think with the bone that John has been picking all along, he is saying saying this, and I think he's saying it loud and clear. He is saying new creation has dawned. In the resurrection of Christ, new creation has come. He is making all things new. Notice the other detail that he gives us. Not only is it a a new week, but it's dark. Do you remember where creation started? Darkness was over the face of the deep. New creation is coming. He's flagging us that at the resurrection of Christ, everything has completely changed. Light and darkness are again being separated in the resurrection of Jesus. It changes utterly everything. Up till this point, the people of God have always worshipped the Sabbath. Saturday, the end of the week. We come to worship week in and week out, year in, year out, for our entire lives. We worship on the first day of the week. Because of this. Because right here, he's saying, look, the first day of the week, he comes out of the tomb. All things are new. Even when we worship God all the way down to this Sunday, us being together, the reality is we celebrate this, his resurrection. A new day has dawned. New creation and new life in Christ our Lord. Paul picks up this creational language for believers in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... And pay attention, believers. Listen to this. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? Do you you know what he says? He is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New creation is dawning right here in the resurrection of Christ. The glory of Christ is breaking into time and space and history, rolling back the grave The other detail noted is that Mary sees that the stone used to seal the tomb has been rolled away from the opening. Something has happened here. This other detail, so Mary, Magdalene, and all four Gospels, women are singled out as being the first witnesses to the resurrection. The only hang-up with that is this. In ancient Palestine, they were terrible witnesses. Because they were women, their word wouldn't stand up in court. They wouldn't be called 
to court to testify for you, to get you out of a jam. They couldn't speak in court. Yet God chose women to be the witnesses, to be the first to see and the first to begin to understand. According to Josephus, quote, the woman is in all things inferior to the man, end quote. That was not, um, that's making you squirm, but that was not an uncommon sentiment then. And yet the word of God in all four gospels says that women were the first to see. While this was a cultural reality, God chose otherwise. In John's account, Mary is not only the first to come to the tomb and find it empty, but she's also the first, as we'll see next week, to interact with, to speak with, to touch the risen Lord. She was the first person on the first day of the week to encounter new creation in person. Mary. Commentators from the earliest days to today will tell you that in doing this, the Lord was authenticating the history of the resurrection. If someone had been trying to fabricate the fact that Jesus rose, they're going to get the best possible witnesses out there to fabricate it. Hey, check out this high priest. He's really trustworthy. Here's a lawyer over here. You can believe him. He signed an affidavit. He's good to go. Here's this other great witness. The Bible's doing none of that. It's, it's not trying to pick and choose its witnesses. It's saying she was here. She saw. Calvin says this. There certainly was nothing more of earthly grandeur in the disciples than the women who followed Christ. But as Christ was pleased to reckon them principal witnesses of his resurrection on this single ground for their testimony is entitled to the greatest deference and is not liable to objection. As to the priest and the scribes and the whole people and even Pilate, nothing but gross and willful blindness prevented them from firmly believing that Christ was risen. All of them, therefore, deserve that seeing they should not see. Yet Christ revealed himself to his little flock. Even in resurrection, he did not go to the powerful. He went to the lowly. He went to the likes of you and me. And the glory of his resurrected body was shown to Mary Magdalene. Fabricated accounts would have anyone other than women being there. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, no, they get to see. I think also in seeing Mary, just putting Mary here, we know that there are other women in other gospel accounts. I think John is also giving us a reversal of Eden. Who was the first to encounter the serpent in the garden? It was a woman. And here in new creation is dawning this other garden. A woman encounters the one who crushed the head of the serpent. Do you see the glory in the reversal?
Let's begin to see these images that John wants us to see. Terror from everyone who saw Jesus die on the cross. That's a horrifying death. And John tells us even after the Lord is dead, they spear him in his side and blood and water pour out of him. It's a horrifying death. Jesus naked on a cross, dying. Here he is reversing that. That is coming undone. Mary comes to the tomb expecting to see a body, and there she finds an empty tomb. The whole world has shifted. This is what the gospel ultimately does. It turns that horrifying moment into peace. It turns devastating sorrow into joy. It turns sinners into saints. It undoes the brutality of the curse and the fall. This is what the resurrection does. When Christ walked out of this tomb, it changes utterly everything. This gospel is about the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, crushing the head of the serpent in his death, but also in his glorious resurrection. Then all the running begins. It begins with Mary. Notice verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples. And said to them, they have taken our Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have lain him. Mary doesn't yet get or see any of the significance. She comes to the tomb. It's still dark. She finds it empty. So she runs in distress to Peter and the beloved disciple, to John, and to, hey, he's gone. Somebody has come and stolen his body. Mary and the others initially likely assumed, and this was not an uncommon practice, for bodies to be stolen out of tombs. And their bodies would be plundered and just left somewhere. But I think her misunderstanding is exactly right. Death itself had been plundered. It had been robbed of its power. Death had been robbed of its victory. The grave actually had been plundered by Christ himself. He had stolen that power. It's gone. It's, it's no longer in existence. So we've seen time and we've seen Mary, now Peter and John. So Peter went out with the other disciples. This is great. One of the only races that we can find anywhere in Scripture they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Hilarious. Not only does he say it was a foot race, John says, I won. I beat him. Notice the urgency all around. Mary runs to, to tell Peter and the others. Peter and John now race to the grave together. It's actually pretty comical, uh, this scene of glory, that he would give us this detail. But John has had plans all along to tell us that it's true. 
Why would he give us this detail? He's telling us, that was me. I was there. I ran against him. I beat him to the tomb. It's true. In all the urgency of the running, I think John is also pointing us to the way of faith. No doubt the disciples were dejected. They had seen the Lord die. But now there's this feeble spark. There's this tiny little spark. It's not a full flowered, fully orbed faith yet. They haven't seen the resurrected Christ. But the tomb is empty. What's going on? Could it be that the Lord is actually not dead? Could the resurrection actually be true? Are you here today with that question on your heart? Could this actually be true? That they all went, all the friends of Jesus and his disciples, they go to the tomb and they expect to see a dead body, but they go and it's empty. Could that actually be true? That's John's point. There was an urgency to figure this thing out. This is the urgency of faith. This is what we are being invited into. It's like, okay, you're not physically running to that tomb, but are you running to the Lord in your heart? Are you sprinting to him? When scripture speaks of these feeble beginnings of faith, it says that Christ is born in us and that we, on the other hand, are also born in him. But the disciples here are like infants. They're tiny, tiny little babies. They're ignorant of the full glory of resurrection. But listen, the Lord is nourishing them. Just like a mother nourishes a child in her womb, that's what the Lord is doing with them. He doesn't despise all this running around. He's holding them up and holding them together, and he is offering the same thing to you and me today. He does not despise feeble faith. He nourishes it. The resurrection of Christ demands this urgency. Christ crucified and risen demands that we tell others. They all tell others. It starts right here and it explodes through the rest of the New Testament. The fact that Christ is raised changes everything. It demands to be told. John now gives us details about the inside of the tomb. Was it robbed or was something else going on? Verses 5 through 7. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Notice this detail first. The sun is coming up. Earlier, we were told it was dark. Now they're looking into the tomb. There's light to see. Do you see when he puts the resurrection of Jesus? Of course he does. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's that's the whole theme of John. Of course the sun is coming up. The resurrection is a new day dawning, and light is breaking into the darkness. Just as that very first day when God separated light and dark. Dawn is here. The sun is rising, and the Lord is raised. They can see in. They can see. John looks into the tomb and sees linen cloths lying there. We saw this last week in his burial. Jesus was bound in spices. Tons of them. And wrapped in linen cloths. This would have been the burial of a king. Linen strips. So everything is in here. Everything is still in the tomb except the body. The linen cloths lying just like they were. In fact, the the head cloth folded and set in a separate spot. So here they are, out of breath. John was likely younger than Peter, faster. But Peter gets there. John is looking in. Peter gets there and is like, get out of the way. I'm going in. It's very Peter-like. Just read about him. It's fantastic. And if you know his character, then you're like, of course he did this. He he nudges John out of the way, and he wants to see. He goes in. There he sees everything is actually in order. This wasn't a robbery. They didn't didn't come and take. They, They would have taken all of this is what they would have taken. I love how David puts it in resurrecting beauty. You can find a copy back there. He says, I don't know what Sherlock Holmes would have deduced, but this time John solved the mystery rather quickly. Peter goes in. We're told what he sees. John comes in. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He saw the empty tomb, and he believed. John, who has been pulling us to faith all the way along. John, who tells us at the end of the book that he writes all of these things down so that we might believe, and by believing, we might have life in the name of Christ. This John, when he sees, he believes. All the disparate pieces, all the signs that Jesus has given, every single detail of glory that he has told us about, all of those fall into place in a moment. It's him. It's really him. He's alive. Death did not hold him. He saw the empty tomb and he believed. John, the same John, Three days before, on Friday, he heard Jesus cry, it is finished. And then he saw him die. And this morning, at dawn, the sun is coming up, and Jesus is not there. The text says that John saw and believed. Seeing the truth. And believing is what we're all called to do. Do you see the truth of the empty tomb with a heart of faith? 
As we near the end of John's gospel, this is going to become increasingly the point of the whole gospel. See him live his life. See his signs. See his trial. See his death. See his glorious resurrection. Believe. Look with eyes of faith here to Christ. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me from the lips of our Lord. Is this you? Have you heard the good news of the gospel and believed with a heart of faith? Do you believe that this actually happened? That they all go there expecting to see a body and they find none? None of us have ever seen Jesus in the flesh. This word, the very word of God written down for us and for our salvation, Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer, I do not ask for these only. In other words, not just those guys with him in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me and you. That's us this morning. John saw and believed. You have not seen Christ. You haven't laid eyes on him. But do you take him at his word? His word is telling us that he conquered hell and the grave and death. Do you believe? This is the witness that we have. The witness of the word of God. The testimony of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says they didn't fully get it. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They were seeing the reality of the empty tomb, but they weren't connecting all the dots. Again, it was this infant faith in the womb of a mother. It wasn't fully grown. They needed more. So faith, Romans 10 says, comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Certainly John and Peter and Mary and the other disciples were beloved and blessed to be the first witnesses at the empty tomb. But listen, every single one of us are just as blessed as them. You're not going to race me to an empty tomb, but we have it. We have it right here in the word of God. We have the truth before us. The question is, what are we going to do with the empty tomb? Is it cause actually for eternal blessing and hope? I love Job 19. He says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, yet in my flesh, I will see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. I know that death is not the end, Job says. Way back in Job, this is not the end. He had hope in resurrection. He saw, like you and me, with eyes of faith. Is that your hope today? Listen again to John's purpose statement. Notice the emphasis on the word. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. See with hearts of faith. See the tomb is empty. He's alive. We have reason to celebrate and rest. So we see with eyes of faith on the first day of the week, new creation dawned, light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He wins. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That into the darkness of this sinful world that rebelled against you, you conquered. You win. It's awesome in glory. It's awesome in beauty. Lord, may we receive it with hearts of faith. Lord, our eyes, unlike those first disciples, have not fallen onto the empty tomb, but we see and we hear with eyes of faith. Eyes opened by you and ears unstopped by you. I pray that for every person in this room. Lord, that we would be shaped and molded by this glorious truth of resurrection that has dawned into the world. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.